Thank you for joining Sumter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. This week, we are going to be looking at the warrior finds honor in service. I think we can all agree that our culture, that our country, that even we fall prey to this need for fame or attention. This need for fame or attention. This kind of attention-seeking. The recent trend in our culture is to be a social media influencer, if you haven't caught on. That's the recent trend, right? And it's led to all kinds of things, right? People can do multi-level marketing because of it. They can get people to buy their stuff. They, they, we have found it fascinating that since I've, we've had children, and our, our kids are pretty cute, let's be honest. And so, yeah, I mean, y'all can laugh about that. We're, I'm talking about my own kids, but they are pretty cute. So when we post about them, um, we will have random people reach out to us on social media and ask us if we want to be brand ambassadors, right? That put our kids in their clothes or in their whatever, and the clothes will be free if we'll just post about it and tag them and hashtag their things and blah, blah, blah. This is a trend in our society to get either fame or just attention, period. We, we have kind of glorified this. We've glorified fame and attention in our lives. And for some of us, it doesn't wor- work itself out in wanting fame. For some people, it does. So, some people are seeking to be famous, right, to be known on a large scale. They want people to know what their name is. They want people to know their face. They want people to know an idea that's connected to them, a slogan, whatever. Right? So some people are actually seeking fame. Others, in a more hidden way, are just seeking attention. See, we all struggle with it. We just struggle with it in different ways. And so someone who's just seeking attention but not seeking fame will look at the person seeking fame and point their finger and say, see, that's the person who's prideful. They're the ones who, who are seeking attention. They're the ones seeking fame. But the irony is, even the person who isn't seeking fame still struggles with, I'm going to serve behind the scenes, but I'm going to serve behind the scenes in such a way that I get noticed. I'm still seeking someone's approval, someone's attention. I still want this person to see me. I still want that person to notice. I still want someone to pat me on the back and say, that a boy, that a girl. We all struggle with it, if we're honest, that in our human nature, we want attention or fame. We want it to end up being about us. Our stories end up being about us. And it's this almost maniacal way that the enemy sneaks into our lives, either to distract us enough that we're going after Fame, and so we become almost completely shallow and surface level just to get as many people to know who we are as possible. Or that we don't go after that. Maybe we don't feel like we can or it's not achievable or we just don't really want that, but we still want attention. So we do things in a way that still try to get people's attention. Even though they're, they're, they're not as public even though they're not as promotion-oriented, even though they're not about getting fame, they're still attention-seeking behaviors. Attention-seeking behaviors. 
You know, the, the easiest way for me to actually identify those in myself are to watch my kids do them because then I, it forces me to think about how I do the same thing, right? My, my kids will do things just to get my attention sometimes. If I'm not giving them attention, if I'm distracted, and maybe it's like I get a text in the moment of playing with my kid, and so then I pull up my phone to read the text instead of just letting it go, and so I pull up my phone, my, my child will do something immediately to get my attention because my, my attention should be on him in that moment. That's right. That's your attention should be on me. Why did you pick up your phone? And so he'll do something to get my attention. And of course, at, when you're in the parent situation, you get annoyed. Why are you being annoyed? Why, why are you doing this thing to act out? And it, it's ir- the irony is they're doing it because of me, because I'm not giving the attention. And so they're doing an attention-seeking behavior, not to be famous, Right? That's the easy target is for most of us to point at the famous people and say they have a problem with needing attention. But honestly, it's a human problem. We all have a problem with needing attention. And the reality is that it damages our souls. It damages our souls when we're constantly seeking attention and approval from others. It's not that we don't need it. We do need it. It's a felt need. It's a human desire for someone to notice us and say that they love us, to say, I see what you're doing. It's there, it's a desire, it's necessary, and, and we will receive it. That's the funny thing. We will receive it from our Heavenly Father, first and foremost, who looks down on us and calls us loved even before we've accomplished anything. That's the story of Jesus' baptism. Jesus goes and has yet to do anything significant on earth. And during his baptism, the Father speaks and says, this is my son, I love him. He has not accomplished one thing on earth yet. One thing. He hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't done any miracles. He hasn't done anything of significance on earth. He's just been a carpenter and been born. That's it. And yet God declares, I love him. And that's what he does to us in coming to faith in him. Before we have accomplished anything, God says, I love you. And then beyond that, we will find that others will affirm us Others will notice, but we can't find ourselves being caught up in desiring just to get that attention, just to be noticed. It ends up hurting our souls. It ends up causing us to behave and act in ways that are not how God designed us, that are not best for us. They're not healthy for us. We don't end up living at peace. That, that's what we found with the, with the, on, with the, oh, I don't know, the word does not come into me, but with the advent, with the coming of social media, what we found is that it's actually caused more disruption in people's identity and psyche than ever before. Because all of a sudden now, our world is wrapped up in likes and shares And all of a sudden, it's all about the attention that I get for the thing that I do. All of these facets of putting our lives on display for other people have only ramped up, ramped up this insidious thing in our human selves, this evil thing in us that's seeking attention from all the wrong places. Attention that's not going to satisfy, ultimately. Because the irony is, is you find someone 
who's successfully gotten all that attention, and yet they've not gotten the attention that they desperately need, that their soul actually needs, and they'll tell you it was all for naught, and that they're empty at the end of it. That they got all the attention they needed and wanted, but it wasn't the attention they, they, they actually needed, that their soul needed. They never had anyone actually see them for who they were and all of their flaws and all of their good and say, I know you, like, I know you, even your mess, and I love you. And so the warrior, the warrior finds honor in service. The warrior finds honor in service. And, and it's amazing because there's greatness in service. You can achieve greatness by serving. You can do great things, extravagant things, things that change the world in just being faithful to serve. One of the greatest examples we have of this is Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa never once attempted to get attention. <laughs> Not once ever. And yet we all know her name. Every single one of us. She never once did anything to garner attention. The attention came without her wanting it. Because she was faithful to serve those that were hurting most. Every day. Serving every day seeking their need. You know, this is a woman who never married, right? She took a vow of celibacy. This is a woman who, who never made more, probably never made more money than the least money any of us in this room have made before. I mean, seriously. She made enough to survive. And this is a woman who never wrote, n never sought, never published a book, n never sought to get her name into the record books. Yet we all know who she is. Why? Because she served with greatness. She served with greatness. She allowed God to use her in a great way that impacted those around them, those around her. And we can do that. We can allow God to use us to serve in ways that impact those around us, that by the, t by the time we get to the end of our lives, the people who need to know who we are know who we are. And they know there's a reason why they know who we are, not just because we tried to get attention, but because we served in great ways. In the book that we've kind of based this series off of, Erwin McManus talks about how he got diagnosed with cancer and it was about five or six years ago I think now but he was diagnosed with cancer all of a sudden and and so he went to go see this this famous doctor and he lives out in California out in Hollywood and so he went to go see this well-known doctor who was known for taking care of the type of cancer he had and so he went to go see him and put him through all the treatment anyways the doctor did surgery to remove the cancer and he said it was shortly after that that he had started recovering, that he was back around. He's a pastor in a church, so he's back around the church, but he still wasn't in his role, but he was around. And so it gave him the chance where he wasn't leading all the time. He could kind of just hang out behind the scenes and watch other people do it, doing what they were doing. And he noticed this young man who really seemed to want to be involved in the life of the church and really, really felt a calling. And so 
he went up to him afterwards, one of the, one of the services or whatever, and, and he said, he asked him, like, what's the biggest thing you, you struggle with in your life? And the young man said, I think it's being competitive. And Erwin said, I don't think it's bad to be competitive. And the, the young man was a little confused by this. He said, but I thought, I thought like as Christians, we, we were supposed to lay down that sort of thing. We weren't supposed to be competitive. And, and Erwin said, you know, I, I just got cancer, and then I, I have this doctor that, you know, helped to do surgery. Let me go ask him about being competitive and come back to you and see what he says. So he said the next time he had an appointment with his doctor, who no one knows who the doctor is outside of the fact that he's great at doing surgery on cancer, right? This doctor doesn't put his name out there. He hasn't written books. He doesn't have some Instagram page. And he went to the doctor, and he's in the appointment at the end of it. He said, before I leave, I got one question for you. Are you a competitive person? Like, I've got this young guy that's in my life, and I'm trying to help him work through this issue of competitiveness. And I just want to know, are you a competitive person? Do you, do you compete to be the best at what you do? And he said for a moment, the doctor just kind of looked at him, and then after a minute, he just smiled. And he said, yes. Every surgery I do keeps me up at night because my goal is to heal that patient. I want to beat cancer. And he walked out. And Erwin went back to that young man and he said, it's not about being competitive. That's not the problem. You're not, you're not sinful because you're competitive. You're not, not like Jesus because you're competitive. It's the wrong direction of your competitiveness. It's that you're competing at the wrong thing. And that if you'll compete to be the best servant, that you'll actually find you'll achieve the greatness you long for instead of competing to be the best famous person or competing to be the person that's most seen. And we see these stories all throughout Scripture. We see these stories all throughout Scripture. We get Jesus saying himself, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. We have the two disciples who are brothers whose mom comes to Jesus and asks, will you allow them to sit at your right and your left when you come into your kingdom? Because they still have this mindset that Jesus was going to be an earthly king and set up a kingdom. Will you allow them to basically be your princes? And Jesus goes on to teach his disciples, no, you will not lord it over people like the rulers of the nations of the world do. You will not lord your authority. You will, not, you will not force people to be under you. No, instead, if you want to be first, you'll be last. And if you want to be the greatest, you will be a servant. We get the story in Joshua. If you've been reading along, if you haven't been reading along, make sure you pick up a reading plan and, and try to read along in Joshua because um, it's just some amazing stories of God's people going to battle and and God calling his people to take the promised land by actually going to war, right? It's an active faith for them. And in Joshua 3 and 4 this week, as, as hopefully if you were reading or catch up and read it, we see that God actually tells Joshua in chapter 3 that he's going to make him great. He's going to make Joshua great. But that the reason for making him great is to bring God 
the fame. So starting in verse 7, this is what it says in this story of Joshua and the Israelites. It says, The Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give this commandment to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, Come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. And look, the Ark of the Covenant, which, by the way, was the Old Testament symbol for the presence of God. So the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men of the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream, and the river will stand up like a wall. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would make us warriors who find honor in service. That you would allow us to seek greatness, but not greatness for our own benefit, not greatness in a way that would draw attention to ourselves, but greatness that would bring you fame. Greatness that looks different than the rest of this world. Greatness that allows us to actually give our lives completely for the sake of others. That they might turn to you and praise you and give you glory and honor and not us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray all things. God says, Joshua, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make you a great leader. But this is why. Because you're going to lead your people to make me famous. And it happens right away. It happens right away. So did you know that they cross this river on dry ground just as Moses crossed the, the Red Sea on dry ground? That they cross this river on dry ground and all of the nations that they go to fight on the other side of the river, every single one of them says, we're terrified of you. We're terrified of you because we've heard the stories of your God and what he has done. We're terrified of you because we've heard how your God rescued you from the Egyptians who were the America of their day. The Egyptians were the world power of their day. Everyone was afraid of the Egyptians and the Israelite God wiped their entire army out. We're terrified of your God that caused dry land to appear in the middle of gigantic bodies of water. We're terrified of your God that handed the cities that you've conquered on the other side of the river to you. We've already heard of your victories and more over them, and now you're coming towards us, and we are terrified. Because the famous nature of God, the famous nature of God, God receiving fame, the attention going to God is what actually turns people away from the world and back to the one who created them. Back to the one who created them. If people are looking at us just for the sake of ourselves, 
it's not going to change their lives. It's not going to change their lives at all. It may affect it a little, modify it a little. They might go a little bit better course. But if we can introduce them to a relationship with this God who can accomplish all things, with Jesus Christ who can overcome the very darkness of the world in their lives, transform them from the inside out, if we can introduce them to a relationship with God through the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, that will change their lives. That will change their lives. See, the things that God has done in your life, He wants to do in the lives of others, but you can't do those things in their lives. Only He can. You can lead them to the one who can do those things, but, but you can't do those things. Joshua couldn't get the river to stop, but God could Joshua couldn't create dry ground, but God could. Joshua couldn't overcome the nations of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites. Joshua couldn't overcome all of them, but God could. And he would, time and time again, as they went into war, he shows up. And as we read the book of Joshua, we see he shows up every single time. But it required Joshua serving the Lord, and the Lord making his service great. I've seen this principle at play in my own life. Maybe you've seen it at play in your life. I've seen it in my own life where I would have a thought or have a desire, hey, I could do that thing that would get me attention or fame, even in small ways. I remember in college, um, I, I was a part of of a, a decently sized ministry. And I remember showing up as a young student, like I think it was early freshman year, and saw someone on stage. And my first thought was, well, I could do what they do. I could be on stage. And you want to know the irony is God that entire year had me memorize the passage that I talked about earlier where Jesus says, the Gentiles lord their authority over people, but if you want to be first, you'll be last. And if you want to be great, you'll be a servant. The whole year he made me memorize that. He took me back to it every time. Every time. It was like he was beating out of me this, this, this pointless desire for fame or for attention. And we see that he actually does great things through us and in us as we begin to serve behind the scenes and pay attention to the leading of his Holy Spirit rather than seeking the attention of others rather than seeking the attention of others. And so here's the, the, the question we're going to discuss and then the things I want you to reflect upon and then respond to this morning as we'll close out after a time of discussion. But where are you seeking attention that you need to cut that off in your life? <laughs> like you need to stop? This is a good time. Lent is a great time to cut out attention-seeking behaviors. To identify them and say, I'm going to start to cut those things out of my life. I'm going to start to ask someone who knows me well enough to help me overcome that thing. I'm going to more importantly go to the God of all creation, the God who knows me, the one who's placed his spirit in me, and ask him to overcome this attention-seeking behavior in my life. Right? So I'm going to fight this thing. I'm going to fight to find honor in service, not in attention-seeking. So what is it in your life that you're 
or, or who is it that you're seeking attention from? Whatever. Identify the attention-seeking thing in you and die to it. Lay your life down to it and see if God doesn't raise up a desire to serve others from a genuine place from within you and then identify how is God calling me to serve? How is God calling me to serve? Who is he calling me to serve? How is he calling me to be great through service, be competitive through service, to be the best servant there is? It's not wrong to seek greatness. It's not wrong to be competitive. It's not wrong to have ambition. It's wrong when those things in our lives exist only to bring us fame and attention and publicity and power. It's, that's, that's where the desire skews our heart and moves us away from the design God has for us. But when we're ambitious and competitive and seek greatness for the sake of God's fame, that he might be made known, that others might come into a relationship with him and know him fully so that they can also find wholeness and peace and rest for their souls, then what you'll discover is you'll find peace for your soul because you'll no longer be seeking constantly after the need of attention from others because you will have all of the attention you need from the God of all creation. And the attention you get from others, well, it'll mean something to you. It's not that it won't mean something to you, but it won't become the thing you're seeking. It'll still mean something to you. It'll still cause you to, to have a little more pep in your step that day. Or it'll still cause you to turn around when you've started to be negative towards yourself. It'll still be good for you, and God will send it into your life at the right times, but it won't be what you're seeking after. You'll be seeking after Him and His attention and then through serving him and serving others and loving like Jesus, you'll find fulfillment and peace in a way that you'll never find in seeking the attention of others.